0: I am the vine, you are the branches. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. There are a few things that I remember from AP Biology. One of them is is the exact way that our AP Biology teacher said the word mutualism. Um, it sounded like mutualism, and it, it's, it's forever in my ear. Um, but the most vivid memory of that episode, that sequence in AP Biology, um, wasn't about parasites, because that's, I know, it's an awesome word, um, very vivid, but rather, I mean, you can imagine in the, the imagination of a 16-year-old boy, saphrophytes were actually far more fascinating. Now... Parasites, you all know about parasites. Saprophytes actually live off the decaying flesh of dead organisms. So, fortunately, we don't have many, um, you know, saprophytic uh, eradication companies who are in business. Um, that would be. Um, never mind. We won't talk any more about <laughs> saprophytes. But in the world of mutualism, we have. Um, two relationships that are very familiar to us, um, those relationships where one suffers and the other gains, parasites, and those relationships where both gain, that symbiotic mutualism where both benefit. We have images of, of, of a bird on the, you know, on the back of a water buffalo, right, or a remora on the belly of a whale. Parasites come in many forms, in the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom. Our favorite parasite, probably, is mistletoe. Several hundred species. They have to live off of a host, a plant or a shrub. And so they're an obligate parasite, but they don't actually... Take all of what they need from the host. They actually do some photosynthesis on their own. So they're not holoparasitic, they're hemiparasitic. You should take note, this might be on your lexiocoron. <clears throat> and so they, they derive water and some nutrients from their host, but they do some photosynthesis on their own. As a result, since they're not holoparasitic, they don't necessarily result in the death of their host. They might sometimes. Sometimes they even may appear to benefit their host. It's the case of the juniper tree, where where even though the mistletoe will sometimes cover over the entire canopy of the juniper tree, by virtue of the berries and the flowers, that results in more birds visiting, and and actually the juniper tree sometimes blossoming even more. But in the end, it's not likely to be a relationship that is beneficial to the host, because the mistletoe is still a parasite. So with, with those bizarre images in your mind, Let's go back and revisit this first letter of St. John. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence in God and receive from him whatever we ask. That sounds fantastic. If our hearts do not trouble us, do not condemn us, we have confidence in God and receive from him whatever we ask. The trouble is that some of us have a dulled conscience and our hearts should convict us, but they don't. Our hearts shouldn't rest easy at night, but they do sometimes for some of us. It's too easy for us to think, well, I have friends. I have success. I have people who compliment me. I say prayers. I do things that are for God and for his church. I don't have many complaints. I don't have many people criticizing me. The people who do are obviously off their rocker. So, the pastor who who tells himself these things at night is a fool. No, what what we instead have to do is ask ourselves more, more direct questions. Because St. John goes on in his letter. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence in God and receive from him whatever we ask, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Right? So instead of of thinking, well, people are generous um, to my business, that's not a bribe. Instead of thinking, people... People find me delightful to be with. That's not just because I give them gifts. I need to ask myself, do I obey God's commandments? Do I serve God? Do I do what pleases God? Christ guaranteed me that if I remain faithful to him, the world will hate me. If I serve to please God first, I will certainly accumulate friends. I will also accumulate enemies. There's another pitfall of priests, which is to think that while I'm accumulating lots of enemies, that must mean I'm doing God's work. Shaky ground. And in one particular way, it could very well be that my life bears fruit And I gain good friends among good people. But it might not be because I obey God's commandments and I do what pleases Him. It could just be someone's personality. It could be the look of their face. It could be their worldly success. Which is not to say that people have bad motives in befriending this person. But but what they, what they regard to be their fruitfulness is actually perhaps the result more of their vanity and, the, and their worldliness and other vices that don't necessarily immediately result in failure. We might be the juniper tree who thinks, look at all my berries, look at all my flowers, I must be... Alive and vibrant when, no, perhaps there's, there's something else which resembles vitality. There are two other relationships in the world of mutualism that are, that are interesting and um, even more obscure. Amensalism, I have to admit, I don't remember that from AP Biology. Where where one derives no benefit from the relationship, but the other suffers, or or even is eradicated. Examples are easier to point out uh, in the plant kingdom, among trees in particular, where a larger tree kills a smaller tree just by virtue of its shade, and the larger tree doesn't benefit from the death of the smaller tree; it just simply happens. Or in something even more aggressive or competitive, where a black walnut, for instance, secretes a poison into the ground that kills other things, but the death of, of those other things doesn't, doesn't immediately benefit the black walnut. When you, think of, when you think of that relationship where one is unaffected and the other just simply dies, forget about benign trees for a moment, that really seems pathetic. No No one gains, and one person dies that 's our interaction with the devil. The devil doesn 't benefit from anything bad that happens to us his, his, his punishment is already eternal, but any contact simply results in in, in, in our suffering and death, but on the very top end of these ranks of mutualism is something really beautiful and providentially spiritual. The relationship is called commensalism. And it comes from those words that refer to sharing a table together. It doesn't result in both parties benefiting. It results in one being unaffected, but the other benefiting. And it would be hard to find something in the, in the natural world that more perfectly resembles our relationship with the Lord. Because He doesn't benefit from our obeying Him. He doesn't benefit from our doing what pleases Him. He's already God. He's that then which nothing greater can be conceived. His majesty is perfect. He doesn't become more God or more beautiful or more wonderful that the, the universe can resound more with his praises as we honor him, but it's not as though he grows bigger but who benefits from this? we do we benefit but we we truly benefit when our our emotion towards him isn't for what we gain but it's for. For what is due him, we honor and we praise him because he's God. And when when that is genuine love rather than a desire for gain, then beautifully we gain all the more because our hearts are open and unattached. Christ is divine, and we are the branches. He is not content for us to remain merely creatures. He comes to adopt us so that his life might be in us. The, the life of the Trinity is shared with us. And we are grafted onto the vine. Not simply to be creatures who happen to be pleasing to him, but adopted children who share his life, who are meant to be with him forever. Sharing this sacrifice sharing his eternal life glory be to the father and to the son and to the holy spirit as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit